Dan Bongino. All the Sanders supporters love throwing bombs at me, and I throw them right back. I'm not here to pull any punches, right? The Dan Bongino Show. This is the great irony of conservatism. Even liberals win under conservatism. Get ready to hear the truth about America. Are you suggesting you're that stupid that other people can run your lives better than you can, even though the cost and quality of what they buy, quote, for you doesn't even matter to them? On a show that's not immune to the facts with your host, Dan Bongino. All right, welcome to the Renegade Republican with Dan Bongino. Producer Joe, how are you today? Doing well, Dan. Ready to go. Yeah, tomorrow's going to be our 500th show. You wow. believe that? No. Gosh. <laughs> I know, it's crazy how time flies, man. Me and Joe started this thing in my basement in Maryland two years ago, <laughs> and thanks to you, we've become like the second or third largest conservative podcast in the world. Yep. So thank you, dude, exclusively to you, uh, the loyal listeners, so I really appreciate that. We had a great week of downloads, too, as well. So uh, a lot to talk about it today, so enough self-celebration. Let's get right to it. Uh, the show today, by, by the way, is brought to you by Freedom Fest. Hey, you guys going to this and ladies out there, I will be there and I would really like to see you there. It's July 19th to 20, uh, to the 22nd. It's coming up. Again, it's called Freedom Fest and it is the world's largest gathering of free minds. Listen, it's missions clear to bring together everyone who cares about liberty to spend the ultimate three days together learning, sharing, networking, and more. Networking is important, especially in our movement. The theme this year is exploring new frontiers. Brett Leonard's going to be there. William Shatner's going to be there. Kennedy from uh, from Fox Business and Fox News is going to be there. I'm going to be there. Deneen Borelli's going to be there. They have libertarianism to the extreme, a series going on this year. Uh, here's some of the titles of some of the some of the, uh, the seminars here. No more gun control. Don't vote. It just encourages them. Is it a crime to discriminate? Not in my book. Free Texas, the state's rights to secede. They're also going to celebrate the life and career of Steve Forbes at his 70th birthday. They have a Saturday night banquet. Uh, celebrity guests. Major think tanks will be there. Cato Heritage, the State Policy Network, the Atlas Society, and many more. They have a trade show for liberty and an anthem film festival. Now, go register today. I'd like to meet you there. I'm going to be there and be walking around and have my family with me. Uh, go to freedomfest.com. That's freedomfest.com. And you can use promo code CRTV100 and you get $100 off. That's CRTV100 for $100 off. Or you can call 855-850-3733. Okie doke. So, over the weekend... The disgraceful, embarrassing, uh, disgusting, horrifying Washington Post uh, reached a new low, which is hard because, it, you know what, when you reach a floor, like it's really hard to reach a new low. <laughs> yeah. You know, there is an expression out there, Joe. Uh, you know, you and I know some people who struggled in life, and especially when it comes to the use of drugs and narcotics, they have sure. this thing like rock bottom. Like what was rock bottom for you? You know, I was watching a an ESPN 30 for 30 last night about Dwight Gooden, the pitcher for the Mets and Daryl Strawberry. And they kept asking Dwight Gooden, who seemingly kept relapsing, you know, what was rock bottom? Well, just when you think the Washington Post hit rock bottom, they recreate rock bottom and break through the rock that was at the bottom. So what happened? There is a writer over there, Peter Holly, H-O-L-L-E-Y. Uh, this guy's a total uh, disgrace. I mean, this guy should hang his head in shame and uh, should just delete his Twitter account and just go find a new career. I cannot believe the piece this guy wrote. It's causing a lot of controversy. And uh, I don't want to harp on it too much because, you know, beating up the media is just easy because they're just so damn stupid. Yeah. Especially the Washington Post and the New York Times, who it's funny, paint themselves as the intellectual elites, but are total, total lightweights. These people should be, uh, they should not be allowed in, civ in a civil political discourse by respectable people. I Really, they're just a mm -hmm. complete disgrace. So Holly writes this piece, Joe, where he blames... 
the Arlington, uh, excuse me, the Alexandria, Virginia shooter, uh, the shooting, the Hodgkinson's guy who shot up Steve Scalise, nearly killed him, and he's in rough shape, by the way, still Steve Scalise, and tried to kill a bunch of Republican members of Congressmen. And the shooter, Hodgkinson, by the way, who is, if, for those of you who may have unbelievably missed this story, but the shooter, Hodgkinson, is a known avid leftist and Bernie Sanders supporter. Keep in right. mind, Joe, none of this is in dispute. Right. This isn't controversial. The guy, again, I'm not blaming Bernie Sanders. Hodgkinson was clearly a maniac. He's now dead. He was killed by the Capitol Police officers defending the members of Congress. But nobody, no serious person disputes this. So, Joe, this guy, Holly, writes a piece in the Washington Post where he blames the shooting on conservative talk radio. Oh, come <sighs> on. No, 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 no. This really happened. Now, this guy, the backlash, by the way, has been tremendous because the guy is an intellectual cretin and he's a moron. He's an embarrassment to journalism. I don't know why this guy even has a job. The Washington Post should have canned him. How this got past an editor really is a clarion call for the Washington Post to increase its editorial staff because this piece that it saw the light of day is disgusting. Um, here's the here's the connection he ma- he makes, which is laughable, um, if not dangerous, but embarrassing. Again, for this guy, he says, "Joe, there's this radio host out mm-hmm. there. He's a former police officer. Forgive me, I don't remember his name. I- I've never heard of that guy before. But he has a show in Belleville, Illinois, which is um, Hodgkinson, the shooter's hometown." Yeah. Now, the guy claims to be a conservative. Again, I don't know his show. I've never listened to it. Or he, he doesn't claim to be a conservative. He claims to be like an anti-politician guy. But the, uh, the writer of the piece claims he's a conservative. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. The Washington Post guy is saying that this radio host in the shooter's hometown is a conservative. I've never listened to him. I can't vouch for that. Okay. But the host doesn't say that. The host says he's just an anti-politician guy. Um, the host is a former police officer. And apparently he gets into some heated rhetoric on the radio on his talk radio show. He nobody even knows if this guy Hodgkinson ever listened to this guy. <laughs> nobody really knows if he's a conservative or not. And yet this this intellectual moron, this this complete vacuum of, of moral or ethical values, Peter Holly is like, well, you know, he makes he makes the leap that this may have contributed somehow. And he does it by he's clever. Like he doesn't say it directly. You know what I'm saying, yeah, Joe? Yeah. He just kind of posits it and leaves it there for you. Folks. This is just how many times on the show am I going to have to bring up gaslighting? Yeah. This is what bothers me about people like Peter Holly. He's a liar. And the worst thing you can call a journalist or even an editorialist at a, at, a, at, a, at a garbage can newspaper like the Washington Post, which is a total disgrace. Go to the National Enquirer if you want credibility. The worst thing you can say to them is they're liars. You know, the worst thing people say about me is I've heard it all the time. Like, man. That Pongino's got anger problems. No, it's not a problem. I'm just an angry guy at bad stuff. It's not a problem for me. It's a problem for you. Yeah. One guy said to me, do you have anger management issues? No, I manage it just fine. I direct it at exactly the people I want to. It's managed fine. You may not like it, but it's not an anger management problem. Now, that's okay. Like, I'm okay with that. All right. But I would never be okay with people saying, oh, don't listen to his show. He lies all the time. We correct our stuff here. This guy is a liar. It's Peter Alley. He's a liar. There you go. He's an he's a not credible person. There is no greater insult. Uh, and and I don't. I'm just telling. I'm telling you the truth that he's a liar. Pun absolutely intended. He's a liar. He's a liar. The guy is a liar. He's a farce. He's a joke. He's making it up. He is just completely fabricating a story to do the gaslighting thing, which we've discussed over and over on the show. And if you don't understand gaslighting. You probably haven't been listening to this show, but you have to. Gaslighting again is what the liberal media and liberals do all the time. 
It is the idea that you fabricate a narrative, you create a lie, Mm -hmm. you repeat the lie confidently. So that's step one. Create lie, repeat lie confidently. Step two is you isolate people from the truth, which the liberal media does by by default, by never giving you the real story. Right. So when people like Peter Holly in the Washington Post try to create fabricate a narrative, in other words, lie, and the fabricated narrative, Joe, in this case, in the gaslighting episode I'm talking about now, is conservative talk radio caused Hodgkinson to shoot Republican members of Congress. You may say, no, well, come on, this is dumb. No one's going to believe that. Ladies and gentlemen, people believe the Reagan tax cuts cost the government money. People believed Clinton ran a surplus. <laughs> people, yeah. that's fa- that is patently false. Any idiot can look it up on Google, but people believe it. So don't tell me that no one's going to believe that conservative talk radio caused a Bernie Sanders supporter to shoot Republicans. That's just dumb. People believe dumb things all the time because the liberal media specializes in fabricating dumbness. Bam. That's what they do. Mm-hmm. And people buy it. Because people are isolated from the truth and they want to believe it. The power of of persuasion is strong. People want to believe it. You have to understand, ladies and gentlemen, liberals are desperate for misinformation. Conservatives are not. What I'm telling you about the Reagan tax cuts, the Clinton surplus, what I I tell you about third-party payer systems and their failure, we'll get into that later or maybe tomorrow on the show with a different story I have. What I tell you about school choice is based in fact and data. Data, you can independently verify yourself. You don't need me to do it. Liberals don't do that. You can't verify ever, Joe, ever, that Hodgkinson, the Alexandria shooter, mm-hmm. you will never be able to know his motivation because he's dead right. outside of what you can see. And what we can see publicly, what we know, again, no one can ever confirm this with 100% certainty, but it's guilty beyond a reasonable doubt, right? Mm-hmm. That this guy was a Sanders supporter and hated Republicans. Yeah. The data points in our direction. This guy's fabricating a completely disingenuous narrative that conservatives somehow motivated a guy to go shoot conservative lawmakers. The guy's a liar, Holly. Tell the story. So again, step one, make up a false narrative, lie about it, but say it confidently like he does in a piece. I, I, you know, I'm going to yeah. leak to a, in the show notes at Bongino.com and conservativereview.com. I'm going to link to a piece in Legal Insurrection. Now, it does sublink to the Washington Post piece. Click on it if you want. I, I, I really strongly encourage you not to because it's they quote, there's enough of the piece in the Legal Insurrection piece. I don't want to give this guy any clicks. I had to do it, but I beg you not to. Because, you, again, you can read portions of the piece in the Legal Insurrection piece, which is a really good site, Legal Insurrection. The Washington Post is garbage. Mm-hmm. But you can read enough in there that you'll see that what this guy does is he repeats the lie confidently. Again, step one of the gaslight. Step two of the gaslight is never tell people the truth. Never admit in your newspaper, the Washington Post, CNN, uh, the New York Times, this collective Borg-like uh, uh, you know, uh, entity that, that puts out their false narratives. Never admit the truth that you are the violent left. The left embraces violence. The left has always embraced violence, not all Democrats, but the far left has always embraced violence because the left worships state control and state control has a monopoly on force. And when they lose state control, the left, they lose the presidency and they lose elected office and they don't have the power to monopolize force. They believe in, again, the use of force to take back that power because they see that force as a greater good. The state is a greater good. They love force. They worship force. They genuflect behind the altar of force. They don't have the emergency break, Joe, liberals, that conservatives do. The emergency break for conservatives against the use of force against others for political purposes Mm -hmm. is that conservatives believe in big R rights granted by God. 
God is the ultimate power and God will judge you. Folks, I'm not making any of this up, okay? I'm giving you the ideological underpinnings of two completely different movements. Conservatives, the emergency break against attacking liberals and beating them up while they're speaking like they do to us. Mm-hmm. When they attack us on college campuses, they throw pies, they beat people up. They uh, injured the neck of that professor up in, uh, was it Maine, at the Charles Murray speech? Mm-hmm. Conservatives cannot do that. Conservatives are forbidden from doing that in mass. Again, there's isolated incidents of stupidity everywhere. But with the left, it's a coordinated effort to use violence to suppress speech because they've lost the government monopoly on force and they need to get it back because that's all they have. The right believes in freedom and big R rights by God. And God is always an emergency break against, uh, you know, unprovoked violent action against others. I say unprovoked. I mean, I don't mean, you know what they mean like the, mm-hmm. the left thinks speech is provocation the right doesn't believe that i'm talking about like someone physically attacks you you know god's not going to ask you to sit there and you know let, let your daughter or son get beat up well you know what i'm saying yeah but unprovoked violence against others is stopped by the right by the big r rights so this guy's really just a total disgrace i i i, I tweeted at him this morning because i'm so disgusted thank god he only has three thousand followers and no one seems to give a crap what he says i think this article only got any um you know, any public, uh, any PR out of it because conservatives were just so enraged by it that this guy, they're like, no, this can't be right. Like, this guy can't be this dumb. But no, it uh, turns out, yes, um, he is this dumb. Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. As, as, like I said, rock bottom, the rock floor is always broken through. All right, I got a, a lot to get to today. I had an interesting conversation uh, this week. I want to hammer this out because I get a lot of emails on this topic. And when I say a lot... I mean, probably 10% of the emails I get to my show email account, Daniel, at Bongino.com, are about this topic. People ask me about Bitcoin all the time. And I'll be honest with you, I'm not, uh, I, I was never overly, um, I don't want to say it's the wrong way, because Bitcoin users are ferocious I mean, in a good way. I don't mean a bad way. They're very passionate about Bitcoin. And I understand why. I don't trust uh, central banks and you know uh, central banks with links to governments either. But they're very passionate about the topic. But I... I you know, I, I got it, but I didn't get it with Bitcoin. So I had an interesting conversation this week, and I'm starting to figure out why people are so passionate about it. My friend Sagi, I was up in New York, and he, he knows a lot about it. And I saw an interesting story today. I'm like, do I talk about this on the show? And when I saw this story, doing some homework for the show today, I'm like, you know what? We're going to bring this up. There's an interesting story I read, and I'll put it in the show notes. It's about Bitcoin and central banks that are looking at potentially buying some Bitcoin assets. And Here's how this thing works in a nutshell. I'm, I'm not going to, and uh, let me just, let me put the buyer beware, caveat emptor, okay, right here. It is extremely complicated. And I could link to you to a thousand YouTube videos that range, Joe, from level 10 complication explaining mm-hmm. the cryptography to level one that just goes into the basics. I'm going to give you like a 1.5 or two, just so you have the basic idea of what it does, because I think there's a point to be made here about why this is relevant to the conversation in the United States right now about our own Federal Reserve and the evaporation of value coming from inflation of our money, which I think is right around the corner. Bitcoin is is basically a series of algorithms. It's a, it is a cryptographic currency, a cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. And the Bitcoin is it's like an international ledger of so let's say joe you know uh if we were exchanging currency and the currency didn't physically exist like bitcoin doesn't physically exist it's not it's not like gold like hard gold which you can hold and you and i were say we were in an island of a hundred people okay and we all agreed that the currency would not be physical it's going to be strictly based on faith 
In other words, I owe Joe 10 Bitcoins. Joe owes me two Bitcoins for this. And what we all do is we keep a ledger, right? So mm -hmm. the, and the island all agrees that the ledger is real. It gets, so we're not exactly, we're not changing anything, Joe. All we're doing is making a change to the ledger. So I buy from Joe uh, podcasting services, which we buy now. Joe is the engineer. Mm -hmm. And Joe, whatever. Joe buys from me my new book, Protecting the President, right? Okay. Convenient enough. I say I pay Joe a Bitcoin a week for processing my podcast. I would minus a Bitcoin from my ledger. Joe would get one. Right. Well, the same way it would work for me. If Joe buys my book for one Bitcoin, it would go in reverse. Joe would get minus one Bitcoin. I would get one in the ledger. Now, the common sense questions would be, well, what's to stop you from faking the ledger? Like, how do you know the ledger's legit? Like, what if Joe just goes in there one day, no one's looking, right? Joe right. gets a pencil eraser and says, I'm going to add plus five Bitcoins to my account. I'm just going to minus one yeah. from all these other people that have a lot of Bitcoins. They won't even know it's gone. Yeah. Which I had an interesting criminal case like that once in the huh. Secret Service. Well, that's exactly what the guy did. The guy figured out that this, through this program called Credit Master, he figured out the algorithm credit card companies uh -huh. used. And he stole credit card numbers, but only stole like 50 cents or a dollar from millions of different people. So nobody knew. Like if your balance went up on your credit card, Joe, from 978 to $979, uh -huh. would you really know the, I mean, honestly, no, would you wouldn't. know the difference? No. no, no. I mean, seriously, unless you owe a dollar and then you owe two, very few people are going to notice the difference. So I had a case once, which is fascinating like that. But that the idea with Bitcoin is, well, how would you stop someone from doing that? Well- the ledger, Joe, say on the island right. that verifies everybody's transactions. Because remember, there's no hard currency. There's no paper for you to verify you have the Bitcoin I gave you. There's no actual Bitcoin. It's only the ledger. Okay. It only exists in cyberspace in the case of Bitcoin, not in an actual physical ledger. The ledger has to be verified. And to verify the ledger, you have all of these miners that come in. You know, the term miners is a is an interesting take. I think it's taken from the idea that, you know, we used to mine gold and I think Bitcoin sees itself as a competitor to gold. I frankly don't. I don't think it's a competitor to gold at all. I think it's a complementary asset because gold is the ultimate physical asset. You know what I'm saying, Joe? Be nice mm -hmm. to have crypto and a hard currency. I think they see themselves as competitors unnecessarily. Um, I, I think that, I think people would, it'd be great to have both. I mean, what a hedge, right? Against inflation. But the miners in Bitcoin are the ones that verify the ledger. And it's hmm. not just one miner. It's and like the miner in who's the ultimate miner, Joe, with with US dollars? The the central bank, right? The Federal Reserve. Yeah, Federal Reserve. They're the they're the ones that verify the ledger. They're the ones that control the money supply. Now that would be a centralized system. Why? Because it's centralized with one entity, the United States Federal Reserve, that controls the money supply. Right. That's not the case with Bitcoin. The miners, there are there's a multitude of miners that all have access to the ledger that have to verify the transactions. And you may say, now the next logical question is like, well, why the hell are they doing that? I mean, if you had a bunch of people on the island, 100 people and 25 of them, their entire day was spent verifying the ledger. Like, what are they getting for it? Mm -hmm. Well, this is, the this is where Bitcoin's really clever. By, by working to verify the ledger and the transactions. Are you following me, by the way? Or yeah, I but this is, it is complicated, and I don't know anything about it. I know, I know, and it's, it. so, yeah. <laughs> it's so hard. I know. It really, it's not easy to make this simple, and I pride myself in simplicity. Yeah, it really, I'm following it, you so far, though. But to yeah. verify the ledger on the island, because remember, there's no physical asset. Joe doesn't have gold in his hand. He doesn't have a bill that says, Dan owes me this. Right. He doesn't have a dollar bill. He has nothing other than the ledger to rely on. To verify the ledger so that everybody's transactions are legit, these miners 
They can all, they're all responsible. It's not one central, it's not one person central for doing it. So imagine if there was one person on the island. Can you imagine the potential for corruption mm-hmm. there? Yeah. If like, um, you know, whatever his name is, you know, King Jones on the island, <laughs> yeah. right? He could just sit there one day and go, you know what? Screw these people on the island. I'm going to screw with this whole ledger. He could throw the whole system into disarray. Right. They don't have that. They all, these miners compete to verify the ledger using math. The reward for them doing it mm-hmm. is new Bitcoins. So they're paid, I think it was 25 Bitcoins, hmm. to verify the ledger. The ledger is verified using very complicated math. Now, this is where it gets a little more complicated. So Joe, does that make sense? A lot of people verify right. it so that everyone agrees the ledger's legit, right? Mm-hmm. By doing that for the work, they're rewarded with Bitcoins. Okay. Now, another logical question would be like, well, you just said inflation's a problem. What's to stop, you know, the world's, you know, b- billion or so people who have some minor expertise <laughs> in math, right? What's to stop everybody from just jumping in and verifying the ledger and collecting all their Bitcoins? And now Bitcoins are worth nothing because there's a whole lot of Bitcoins out there. <laughs> oh, that's a great question. Hmm. That's a great question. And luckily, I have an answer for it in my Bill Clinton voice. <laughs> the answer is the mathematical complexity of the verification of the ledger, because it's, it's similar to a math problem, is inversely related to the number of people doing the verifying. Hold on. I know that was coming. Oh, daddy. Okay. So if a billion people jumped in tomorrow mm-hmm. to verify the blockchain using the math necessary to do that, if a billion people did it, that's a whole lot of Bitcoins being created. Yeah. And by the way, there's a limit on the number of Bitcoins to be created, but that's, let's leave that to the side for a minute. You would have a lot. Remember, you're getting about 25 Bitcoins per verification, right? Mm-hmm. Then it would, the currency be worthless. They'd be everywhere. So the way they make it, which is brilliant, is the more people that jump in, the more complicated the math gets and the more computing power it takes. So, I mean, you're talking about, I'm not a big computer wizard, but like state-sponsored entities at some point were the only people who are going to be able to figure that out if all those people jump in. Now, if nobody jumps in to verify the voucher, I mean to verify the the, the transaction ledger, right? Mm -hmm. If nobody jumps in, that's a problem too. Because then how does anybody know the transaction ledger is legitimate? How do I know Joe owes me money? Well, then the math problems get super simple. You know, they get like you watched uh, an interesting YouTube video and the guy's like, well, it would be like X plus Y equals 15. I mean, that wouldn't take you too long to figure out what X plus Y could be if you guessed enough times. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's the idea that they would make it so simple that, uh, you know, people would start jumping back in to claim their free bitcoins. Well, they're, they're bitcoins for verifying the ledger. So I know it sounds complicated, but this is a fascinating thing because Bitcoin is built in a system that naturally is a hedge against inflation. The more Bitcoin that is created, remember, and you may say to yourself, what do you mean it's just created? You mean like it's a fantasy in cyberspace? Well, what do you think paper money is? No, I'm serious. Like, what What do you think paper money is? Paper money is a fantasy. Mm-hmm. Oh, so it's created by the government. That makes it extra legit. I mean, mm-hmm. the, Joe, they just print money anyway. Quantitative easing is the United States federal government printing money to buy itself. That's them checking the math, more or less. That, right? Yeah, yeah, Am I yes, right? I mean, ex- I don't know. Yeah. No, no, you're right. That is them. They're checking the math to make sure, number one, that the Bitcoin population doesn't explode. Okay. Yeah. Because, again, if if multiple people come in to check the ledger, 
on it, if a lot of people come in, it gets really hard to figure it out. Mm -hmm. So that they won't create that many Bitcoins because only say one person will figure it out. Right. Okay. If nobody comes in, they'll make it really simple so that tons of people come in and verify the ledger. But there's also a ceiling on the number of Bitcoins that can be created. And I think they anticipate by 2140, there'll be no additional Bitcoins created. Now you may say to yourself, well, who's going to check the ledger then? The way they're going to do it then is they're going to just basically have a service fee for the miners who come in. You're not, you're not going to get new Bitcoins. You get what I'm saying? You're just going to get... Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever a transaction in 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 already created Bitcoin for doing the servicing, just to make sure the ledger's legit. Mm. But what's fascinating about this is I thought about it. So I was having this conversation about Bitcoin. It was a very, this guy's super smart. I was talking to. Him. I was thinking of an old Milton Friedman line he uses often when he talks about inflation. How how bad money will always chase out good money over time, and that's why inflation is so dangerous. So if you're one of the first investors in say a currency, Joe, mm-hmm. and let's say that currency's worth something, right? Let's say you invest in in this new metal, uh, you know, strontonium. I'm just making that up. Sounds Whenever, good. Uh, <laughs> what's the Superman thing? Kryptonite? Kryptonite. You know, yeah, you invest in kryptonite. And they mine kryptonite. And kryptonite's going to be used for currency because it's so rare. And people are like, oh, I got to get my hands on this kryptonite. And a block of kryptonite's worth $10,000. Well, Friedman used to say, you know, bad money always chases out good money, meaning that may legitimately be worth about $10,000 US in value. That's say pound of kryptonite when you start, Joe. But let's say tomorrow morning, you know, all of a sudden people figure out a way to counterfeit kryptonite, right? All of a sudden you see it's kryptonite. Not many people can tell the difference. Mm-hmm. Now kryptonite's being traded. That's counterfeit. People find out there's a counterfeit problem. Next thing you know, the amount of kryptonite, the value collapses the, of kryptonite because people don't trust the currency. Fred was Friedman's way of saying, you know, bad money in the end, the counterfeit kryptonite will always chase out good money. He gave some more complicated examples about tobacco, how tobacco used to be used as a form of currency, Joe. Yeah. So what tobacco farmers would naturally want to give away their worst tobacco. <laughs> so as it became a more accepted form of currency, tobacco, using tobacco like we would use dollars to trade, farmers who farm tobacco would want to give away their crap tobacco for <laughs> your whatever, your good wine products or whatever it is. So bad money always chases out good money. Nice thing about this Bitcoin thing, and I think why central banks are really interested in it right now, central banks meaning government-sponsored banks, actually think about buying Bitcoins, which remember, remember, you're just buying essentially an algorithm connected to the web. Okay. That's it. You store it on a USB drive, store it on a hard drive. You know, you lose it, you lose it. I read another fascinating story about a guy. He bought Bitcoins early, just like you would buy, say, gold or silver, mm-hmm. and they weren't worth much when he bought them. So he stored them on a hard drive, Joe. He threw the hard drive out. The hard drive a couple of years later was worth seven million dollars. Oh. So he went to the dump to go. He can never find it. I feel bad for that guy, poor guy. So, but central banks are considering looking into this. So it's definitely a topic I think you should put on your front burner now. It's not unrelated to what's going on. All right, what else we got today? All right, today's show also brought to you by our friends at My Patriot Supply, which is a perfect segue right now, although unintentional. You know, I'm into preparedness. That's why I'm going to look into this Bitcoin thing and my Birch Gold buddies too. I want to actually, I want to hold some stuff though too. You know, mm-hmm. having a hard drive is nice, Joe, but I want to be able to hold some shiny stuff too. People like shiny stuff. But uh, My Patriot Supply, they will sell you a month's supply of emergency food. Now, I get it. Some of you may be saying, well, why do I need that? Why do you need that? How can you not have it is the better question. We used to say in the Secret Service when it came to emergency supplies, better to have them and not need them than need them and not have them. I'm not kidding. We used to have all kinds of bulletproof stuff. I'm not going to say what, but cut into fancy designs so we could hide it in places and throw it on the president if needed, right? Mm -hmm. 
And I remember a couple times, guys, God, we really need that. Yes, yes, we need it. God forbid the bullets start flying. We're going to need it. You need emergency food. They will give you a month's supply of emergency food. God forbid there's a, a really serious power outage. We have these one of these EMP attacks the North Koreans keep talking about. They keep mentioning this, which there's they have like an obsession with it. Yeah. You have a blackout that lasts a little longer than intended. You have a tornado, a natural disaster. You will have the 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 security, the the psychological security of having a month's supply of emergency food for yourself. It's only $99. It's 140 servings. It lasts 25 years. It comes in a slim plastic case. Store it. You don't have to worry about it for 25 years. Here's the website. It's preparewithdan.com. That's preparewithdan.com. Only $99. Go pick up your month's supply of emergency food today. All right. A couple more things I have to get to. I, I hope you found that interesting, by the way. I'm always hesitant to discuss things like Bitcoin, but it's people are fascinated by it. And after the conversation this weekend and reading this article today about central banks, I thought, you know, this is something we, we have to discuss on the show. We'd be doing you a disservice if we didn't. All right. The anti-anti-communist liberals have been exposed again. Uh, Trump gave a speech in Poland last week. Yeah. The speech was about uh, the benefits of, it was a little bit about Polish history and the fighting spirit of uh, the Polish people. But one of the things he also addressed, Joe, were the benefits of Western civilization, talking about our civilization, the idea of a constitutional republic, the idea you know, of voting rights, the idea of big R rights granted by God. Right. The power of Western civilization, it, I mean, amongst reasonable people, Joe, like you and I, is not really quite, like nobody questions Western civilization and the benefits to the world unless you're a liberal buffoon. But that's the, you know, yeah. subject of my story today. <laughs> I have Trump gave this speech, and liberals went wild. So that's that's what's generating my my storyline here. Liberals went crazy. They had a piece on Fox News this morning, a competition for the most unhinged reaction to Trump's speech, uh, stating the benefits of Western civilization. Everything from Trump is a racist to a white nationalist to you know Trump hates every other country that hasn't embraced Western values, mm -hmm. which is all simply outrageous. And as um. A commentator on Fox pointed out this morning, you know, it's interesting, Joe, uh, LBJ who was a Democrat, Lyndon Baines Johnson, you know, former president of the United States, right. gave uh, almost an identical speech on the benefits of Western civilization. And at the time, at least liberals in the media loved it. Now, why is that? Well, of course, because LBJ was a Democrat. But Trump gives the same speech, you know, professing the, the greatness of the United States and Western civilization and our values and, you know, praising the Polish people for the fight and the liberal media went nuts. And I, I, the why matters. We say the why matters all the time. Why did they do that? Folks, again, the anti-anti-communist approach to the left. I cannot express this to you in strong enough terms. This is their ideological bedrock. I have to hat tip this to David Horowitz. I did not make up the term. But Horowitz says you will stop questioning the left's motives for things when you understand that they are the anti-anti-communists. We are the anti-communists. Communism is the state ownership of private assets, of what should be private assets, state ownership of the economy, and really state ownership of you. Economic freedom and political freedom are interrelated. If you can't vote or you can't own assets or your own private property and everything is property of the state, you don't have either. Don't forget that line, folks. This is from Hayek, right? Not a direct quote, but the, one of the premises of the road to serfdom was the idea that if you can't own anything and the government owns all of your assets, your labor and everything else, which is what communism is, Joe, you're not allowed to own a factory, you're paid by the government. In other words, you don't have economic freedom. 
political freedom is irrelevant. You you, you understand why, sure. right, Joe? I mean, yeah. if I'm voting for Joe Armacost or Frank Luber, the host at his morning station, mm-hmm. and you're both running for to be the premier of the Soviet Union mm-hmm. or to run for a seat in a Politburo, but you both own my assets once you get elected, it doesn't matter. What do I care if it's Frank or Joe? You know, oh, we got political freedom. We can vote. For what? It doesn't matter. You have no control. And the inverse is true, too. If you can't vote ever and you have no say over the power of people who are in charge, even if you own assets, those assets, because you have economic freedom, are always in jeopardy because the, you can't vote the people out of office when they decide to take them. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. It's, this was the, I mean, Hayek could not hammer this point home in strong enough terms in the road to serfdom. Economic freedom and political freedom will always be married at the hip. You cannot have one without the other. What was I talking about? Oh, the anti-anti-communist yeah. thing. Oh, the reason I bring this up is because the anti-anti-communists understood this a long time ago. And they understood that they to be, to be communists, to fight for their cause, they had to fight anything that was against them, even if people that were against them seemed to clash with their own values. Here's what I mean. And the, this is the reaction to this. Trump professes a speech saying the, uh, talking about the greatness of the United States. The liberals need you to understand that the United States is an awful place. So how do they do that? They need to bash the United States at all costs, and they need you to see the United States as an imperialist empire because they are fighting for both your economic and your political freedom. They want to take away your ability to vote people into office for change, and they want to take away your ability to own property. That's what socialism is. Mm -hmm. So they have to get you to hate the current system. So that's how they became the anti-anti-communists. We're the anti-communists, and they're against us. So whatever we stand for, they're against. And however another group can benefit their collective cause, taking away our economic and political freedom, they will jump in line with them, even when it clashes with their own values and the... the, uh, Classic example of this is why liberals will continue to defend radical Islamism, despite the fact that, you know, the Iran deal uh, and, and a lot of these radical Islamist empires, they will continue to defend them, despite the fact that they're supposed to be, Joe, mm-hmm. they're supposed to be champions for LGBT values, liberals, that is, right? That's their <laughs> thing. LGBTQ values, that's, you know, they've been out there at the forefront, you know, transgender bathroom usage, that's their thing. But the fact that the Iranians throw people who are gay off the roofs and uh, what was it, Ahmadinejad who said years ago in New York that there were no gay people in his country, like he laughed at a question, you know, remember that? I mean, the guy's a maniac, the guy's clearly crazy. Liberals will defend them. Not because they align with their values, but because they're against us, the anti-communists. And anybody they can get on the team to defeat us to take state power, even if it clashes with their immediate agenda, they'll do it. And the reaction, the unhinged reaction this week, is just a confirmation of that, that they are the anti-anti-communist party. They don't have any values. They don't like the United States. They don't like Western civilization because they don't like freedom because they worship state power. You have to understand that, folks. There's a why to everything. This is not being done by mistake. The liberals cannot have you praising Western civilization because Western civilization is a thorough rebuke to everything they believe in. They don't believe in freedom. They don't believe in economic freedom. And they don't believe in political freedom. And that's why they reacted the way they did. All right, final story of the day. This one was a doozy. And I'll put this in the show notes, too. This one's a stuff. <laughs> I read this in the Wall Street Journal, the opinion section. I was laughing my butt off because it's just so, 
anti-anti-communists, like how they hate everything that involves freedom. And, you know, the liberals, like Joe, with their, their fight against voter ID, right? You would think the liberals would care about the integrity of the ballot box and people's access to ballot measures and not doing last minute changes that would destroy mm-hmm. a free and fair election, right? Well, it's, it's nonsense. They don't really mean any of that. So I saw a story about if you're a California resident, you, you probably heard this. But if not, you'll be a little bit, maybe a little bit floored by this. So the supermajority in California, the Democrat supermajority in their Senate is in jeopardy right now. Now, their supermajority in California allows them, Joe, due to some ballot initiatives, allows them to raise taxes, the Democrat supermajority, uh, without they don't need any Republican support. No. They can basically scrap the Republicans, okay? They have that now. Yeah. Now, they're in jeopardy. The supermajority is in jeopardy because there is an initiative to hold a special election that uh, to get this guy, what's his name, Senator Josh Newman from the Orange County uh, area to get him out of office. Now, this guy's in a swingy district. Mm. So this guy's a Democrat. He's a senator. And if this special election goes through, this recall election, because people are assume sick of this guy. The Democrats will not have the ability to unilaterally raise taxes. They'll need a Republican to do it. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So there are election laws in California on the books now that say two things. The two takeaways is the election laws say, well, for special elections, you know, they'll be held whatever this amount of time after the, you know, after the recall thing passes. And then there's another law that says that there are campaign finance limits. Right, Joe, the Democrats are for that, right? Yeah. They hated Citizens United. <laughs> they always talk about dark money. So just to be clear, there's a recall initiative to get rid of a Democratic senator that will break their supermajority to raise taxes in California. Mm-hmm. The laws that govern these recall elections say when they can happen and say and put limits on how much money people can donate mm-hmm. to them. Two things you would think Democrats would be for. Because mm-hmm. they're all about free and fair elections, Joe, and control of money and poverty. Of course, yes. Uh, yeah, of course, yeah, but you'd be <laughs> wrong again. So what happened there? The Democrats are now pushing through an initiative to change the date after the fact, by the way. Sorry, I'm itching my eye. Change the date of the election to correspond to a local primary (laughs) because the turnout would be higher, which they think would benefit the Democrats. Keep in mind, it's all being done after this recall movement started. So you may say, oh, well, okay, you know, they want to change it after the fact so they can win. Everybody would do that. Well, here's the second one's an even bigger doozy. Here's the second change they want to make. They want to make it so that the campaign finance limits on the amount of money you can donate to this guy, Josh Newman, they want to waive it for, for internal donations. In other words, like... Democrat state senators who donate to their, to this guy. And the reason they want to do that, because if the recall uh, election goes forward, a lot of these Democrats in California have surplus funds. They can pour hundreds of thousands of dollars in this guy's race. So they want campaign limits to apply to everyone else but them. Wow. But again, folks, don't, don't worry about it. If you're liberals, again, just keep telling yourself you have values and ethics. You're, you're disgraceful. Your movement's a disgrace. You don't stand for anything. You just, you're the anti-anti-communist. You just want to beat up the other guy. And whatever principle, air quotes, you have to use to do it, you'll do it. The referee says no punches below the belt, you punch below the belt. The referee says no baseball bats, you hit him with a bat and the, your corner man comes out and shanks your opponent. Yeah. You have no ethics, nothing. <laughs> oh, we're all about campaign limits, except when we're going to lose our supermajority. It's just <laughs> disgusting. So I'll put the story in the show notes. You can read the details. But again, it just shows how when you have a, 
monopoly rule in a state like California, I discussed Illinois last week, how they will do almost anything to maintain power and throw all their principles out the window. It's just grotesque. All right, folks, thanks again for tuning in. I really appreciate it. Thanks for a uh, great week of uh, listens last week and downloads. And tomorrow will be show 500, so I'm really looking forward to that. I'll see you all tomorrow. You just heard the Dan Bongino Show. Get more of Dan online anytime at conservativereview.com. You can also get Dan's podcasts on iTunes or SoundCloud. And follow Dan on Twitter 24-7 at DBongino.